my name is Nikki Tooley, and this is Behind the Beaker. Hello and welcome science listeners. I'm Jillian Barch, your host and science reporter for the Daily Wildcat, and you are listening to Behind the Beaker, a Daily Wildcat science podcast. Today we talk with Nikki Tooley about her journey at the University of Arizona and her research on how climate adaptation influences water resource management in indigenous and rural communities. Yeah, so what my research is, is it deals a lot with the area of hydro science. And my main focus is in indigenous and rural communities. And that water science research goes into discussing the areas of water quality, the water access, also the law and policy that goes into how to address water quality and water access, and really looking at some of the community perception to some of these issues, as well as including the Indigenous perspective. It's really cool. So what led to you going into this field? So what led me going into this field has a lot to do with my upbringing and the, the lived experiences that I've had. And so I am a member of the Navajo Nation. And as a member of the Navajo Nation, I was fortunate enough to be able to be raised on the Navajo Reservation. So that's located in the northeastern part of Arizona, but also reaches into Utah and New Mexico. And so it's a very vast landscape. It's about over 27,000 square miles. And so you're the, the land covers anything from where there might be ponderosa pines to high arid landscapes to, um, to some of the, uh, the most notable sites such as Monument Valley um, with the red uh, geological formations that many travel to see. And so living in the region of the Navajo Nation, it was primarily um, rural areas as so a living uh, country lifestyle essentially. Um, we were able to, to live there and being there in that environment, you're, I was just naturally uh, prone to get interested in it through childhood explorations of, of looking at the landscapes and not knowing at the time how each of those landscapes and processes went into what Western science would call hydroscience, geology, geomorphology, and any other kind of um, type of science that would go behind what some of those childhood play areas were for me. And so by living in that region and by being in the family that I was brought up in, it was just something that I felt developed early on that foundation of asking questions, be interested in why some things happen, why the, the arroyo beds might have been dry some part of the year, but had water other parts of the year, asking why there was a lot of death storms happening in the area, and just being really inquisitive about um, some of the the things happening uh, around me really led to ultimately what I believe my um, role in entering the, the scientific world. You said in a video that the water system has changed because, because of the extraction of coal and uranium. What is it like to be dealing with these challenges and how are you combating these challenges? On the Navajo Nation, there has been some of the largest activities of uranium and coal mining efforts all across the nation. And to this day, there are a number of issues that uh, 
are referred to as legacy issues. And so, for example, with uranium mining, there's this whole understanding of legacy waste that is left over from after the actions of uranium mining. And so on the Navajo Nation, there are over 500 abandoned uranium mines. And so what does that do? What are those actions, what have those actions done in the past and continue to influence right now in the present and ultimately in the future is that when you go into looking at these processes of extracting, extracting natural resources, you're ultimately disrupting a natural, uh, a natural formation of the landscape. And so uh, as a result of that, it's, it's only, um, it's, a, it's a, an awareness that once you ruin and uh, not necessarily ruin, but make, um, go into these activities in which you extract these natural resources, you're gonna disrupt these mechanisms that were once in place working in balance together. And so for example, in this area of uranium mining, there was a disruption to the, the groundwater in the area of, of a lot of these places. And, and the same for, for uh, coal mining as well, because it was open pit coal mining for a lot of the activities that happened there. And then also the, the mentioning of slurry of coal using the water to transport the coal. But going back to the geology nature of the extraction of natural resources, the, the understanding that aquifers were, were compromised, that there was, a, there was contamination issues going in through um, to the wells that people were using because of the contamination of groundwater. And so that's where that whole cycle of extracting had um, and is impacting people in the area of um, their, the, the water quality to the sources that they have available to them. And so that's where in the video that reference, that is what is referenced when these water systems have changed and have been altered because of this extraction. How does your research and, wor and work um, restore the balance of the water system? Yeah, so I believe that um, I couldn't necessarily just right up front say restore, but I think what I would say is that it's helping to help in all of these numerous efforts to strive to bring whatever balance will be attainable. Uh, it's it's definitely an understanding that we cannot get back these systems to the, the pristine state that they once were before these actions have taken place. That's just a general understanding. And so now the question is, what can we do to help these efforts to maintain sustainable communities, to maintain healthy communities, and not only the population of the people, but also the, the landscape itself, the environment, but the other um, animals and other livestock that are in the region. And so where my research starts to go into understanding how this restoration of balance um, can be referred to with the water system. What I feel is what my role in all of this is really it's a, a lifelong effort for sure that this isn't just going to be completed within a few years and, and the work prior to me coming here to the university has not been um, uh, a spontaneous kind of thing or a short-lived kind of thing. It's really been years in the making. And so what my feel, my one of my biggest roles that I can continue to continue to play in this is 
um, first and foremost, to keep bringing awareness that this type of issue is still persistent uh, at not a small scale, but at a fairly large scale. And so by bringing continuous awareness to this, um, as a person in academia currently in a PhD program, what I'm able to do is to not only bring awareness, but also share some of the technical understanding that I have um, now that is in relation to this water, water science topics um, addressing these issues, but also looking at how the policy and law also play into this. And then really um, what I'm really excited about here at the university is this whole community connection of helping the community also understand this, what is being talked, in this, um, talked about in the scientific uh, language and that by helping them understand, we can also work together to understand and, and learn what they know that we don't know as, as researchers, not being directly from specific communities. And so this is really where that area of relationship building comes into play. And so where that role continues for me in this research and work is to continue to strive to be that conduit to help um, that, that area of communication to help bring this continued awareness to, to address this issue of water quality, water access, what the community needs are, what, what researchers are intending to do to kind of help keep this movement fluid and, and moving forward um, in, in the research, but also in the everyday lives of people who are impacted by these topics that we're discussing. Well, I think you're doing an amazing job and I love the work you're doing. And it's really interesting to learn about how much actually goes into the water system and how it all kind of comes full circle. Could you explain to us how your research works and what the next step is? So right now, immediately, how my research is working is really to continue this area of that I haven't had much practice in, in in relationship building and working directly with communities is where is where my research is at right now. And so what I'm finding is that there's this really key importance of scientific communication that it's really awesome that I, I've done things that um, relate to the scientific community and, and, and doing whatever taking classes, doing write-ups, sharing uh, sharing knowledge within the, in the scientific community. And that's pretty awesome to share your findings, present at conferences and, and whatnot. However, what I'm finding now is that I really am appreciating and, and really value this opportunity to share and build my skills of scientific communication to the communities themselves that, um, if I'm able to explain to community members what I'm working on and doing research on and that they can understand and start to begin uh, their own analysis and develop their own questions about what could be studied is really what the highlight is turning out for me to be in this uh, PhD program that it's not only a closed network of knowledge anymore. What I'm finding is that once you're able to communicate well with community members and, and in these indigenous, indigenous communities that I'm working with, that that whole kind of closed um, off uh, communication that I had with scientific work is now opening to where um, they're being more involved. And so what the next step is that once I 
am able to build enough bridges and develop more of these relationships is to continue that effort of allowing the community really to be some of the, the main drivers in this work to ask questions, to, to give um, insight into what they feel would be a efficient or also um, effective way to ask some of this, uh, some of these research questions um, that we can begin to develop, uh, maybe not a complete answer to, but start to create some sort of, uh, of support in finding ways to gain um, responses or answers to all address this issue of building sustainability in communities in relation to uh, water science. And that's what I feel is the next step for me. What is it like to not only be a research researcher, but as you've talked about, you're communicating with all the communities and you're advocating for this. So what is it like to do both of that? And so this question of what is it like to not only be a, a researcher, but an advocate for these issues, when I was looking and kind of understanding it of, of what I might say to this question is that as a Native American woman scientist, I really do not feel like I can identify as one or, or the other, that my, my life is so intertwined and woven together that being a research and an advocate will always be one in the same for me that it's gonna once I do one thing in the research world it innately is going to fit into what some would deem as an advocate in into that work that that is just what is going to be connected and what I probably would expect for I have expected and will continue to expect of me is that that whole notion of bringing awareness, I feel kind of just pulls you into being kind of looked at as an advocate. And for me, I feel that is totally fine because the research questions that I'm not asking aren't only meant to be published or to get me to another step in academia, but really what I feel my research is doing is to enhance the quality of life for others in this whole world of water um, access and quality and, and making sure that by the questions I'm asking or by the work that I'm doing that that is and remains the ultimate goal is to help others in this in this journey of completing another journey. And that's just how I see them tying together as one and where they cannot be separated. What have been some other challenges you faced with this research? Yeah, so I, as maybe not the research alone per se, but the journey of becoming a researcher, I feel there has been uh, some challenges that I feel like a lot of other people could relate to. And that is for me growing up in, in on the Navajo nation and growing up in this rural area where where predominantly the community I grew up in everybody looked like me essentially everybody talked like me and we uh, we we grew up speaking a different kind of language so it was our indigenous language in Navajo where that was the more the language frequently heard more so than speaking English and so by the time it came time to go into higher education leaving away from that from that community, from that land, from my family, was really a, a bit of a culture shock to move into a larger city where 
not everything was familiar like it once was and where there is just this large, even larger diversity of not only of people, but the landscape and the environment itself really took some adjustment. And so I feel like anybody's just starting out in, 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 in moving away and entering into this higher education, that might be one of the challenges that might really be faced in this uh, higher education pursuit through research. And then really also the challenge that I see is that uh, I feel that it's kind of um, a bit of a goal that I have to get people like me kind of with this shared lived experience that I've had into the classroom and institution where that I won't be necessarily the only Navajo student in the classroom or the only indigenous student in the classroom in the state of Arizona where there are where there are numerous tribes uh, in Arizona but to get some other students like that in this classroom and so how does that happen I think again going back to the sharing of awareness and just how higher education can really be linked back to the indigenous communities for example for what I've seen in building that connection and in that that challenge again goes back to the relationship building as being the big effort because for a lot of native and indigenous people all across the world education hasn't always been a positive influence it was once a, a negative and still remains a historical trauma for many people through boarding schools residential schools and so it has education hasn't always been um a light of positivity for these communities. And I understand that. And I feel as a person in academia, that is one challenge I face to to try and and convey to first myself, but my family, and then ultimately communities and others that um, understanding that that historical trauma continues to persist and and working through that negativity to bring this positivity of the research that I am now doing and trying to help in, again, going back to the previous discussion, restoring a balance or harmony, which is uh, ultimately a Navajo way of belief and concept of that that harmony to to begin to see how this, this trust can continue to be built between indigenous communities and academia and research. Um, what has been the most surprising thing you have found from this research? I, I kind of feel like the surprising thing is just how small the the essentially the water water world community is, mm-hmm. but just how large it is at the same time. And so being a being Uh, entering into this community, it's really awesome to know that, and exciting to know that a number of the the water scientists and and specifically the the native water scientists that some way or another, my life has been influenced or impacted by their, their previous journey of going through academia and becoming professionals. And one Um, One mention to that is that um, I'm really surprised that in this time of the pandemic that work with my older sister has really come to light where she is also a water scientist and has gotten her PhD and where I didn't expect that it would be so soon that our circles would really come become intertwined and linked to where the work would continue 
into addressing these issues in, in different ways. And so she studied state, uh, stable isotopes at the University of Utah, and I'm studying here at the University of Arizona. It's not necessarily the same approach, but it's getting us to the same area of ultimately um, reaching that goal of trying to help uh, communities in, in this effort of water access and quality in that whole realm of creating sustainability. That's so cool that you and your sister are kind of going down the same roads. That's really cool. Yeah. We will be right back after a word from our sponsor. Welcome, Daily Wildcat listeners, to the Wildcat Weekly Recap Podcast. This weekly news podcast will highlight and bring you up to date on all University of Arizona news you may have missed in the last week. I'm your host, Maggie Rockwell, Assistant News and Science Editor, and I'll keep you informed and in the know. Listen on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and anywhere you stream. This is a Daily Wildcat news production online all the time at dailywildcat.com. That was a word from our sponsor. If you are interested in working for the Daily Wildcat, visit dailywildcat.com slash apply now. That was dailywildcat.com slash apply now. We are back with Nikki Tooley. Um, when did you realize this was the career you wanted to go into and what you shared some of the experiences you've had that led to it, but um, what are more experiences that led to you choosing this field of work? Yeah, so what led me to this? I feel like I knew exactly what I wanted to do early on, um, maybe from the first time I could start to think for myself, maybe, I don't know, it was pretty early on, like as a child, I knew, I didn't know necessarily the title that would go behind what I wanted to do. But it essentially was the same thing that I knew I wanted to help my community, I knew I wanted to move home one day back to the Navajo Nation, I knew I wanted to help other indigenous communities. And I knew I wanted to do something where I could work outside and work with the land. And I knew that water was the whole centralized component to all of those um, early childhood desires of wanting to learn more. And so uh, in in some of the previous interviews that uh, one of the earliest memories that I can recollect was about the time I was maybe like four or five years old and I was with my dad at a conference. And so this was for an, an indigenous environmental network conference. And so I was at this conference that my dad was on a panel and he was presenting to numerous other um, people from other tribes across the uh, Turtle Island, essentially North America. And in that presentation, I just remember him talking about some of the issues that I've shared with you about the uranium or coal mining or other natural resource extraction on Navajo in the Southwest that he was talking Uh, about those issues. And and I just happened to, at that precise moment, walk up to him, sit down um, on his lap while he was presenting at this panel. And I think what why it stuck to me is that although he was in front of a large group of people talking, he didn't push me away while he was presenting um, to kind of like leave him alone while he was talking, but rather he sat me down on his lap at that table in front of all these people with the other panel members and continued to talk. And I think at that moment with me just looking out into the crowd, sitting in the, in the arms of my father, listening to him talk and listening to the watching the people listen, that that whole notion of wanting to continue forward to be 
in some small, tiny aspect of a voice for the, the land, but also for the people, environment, all the inner complexities and in, webs that are, are going into this topic of water science that I knew from that moment that that's what I wanted it to be. And I understood at that time, maybe not necessarily um, the, 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 the understanding of credentials, what it meant at that time, but as time progressed, I began to understand just how vital it was for, for me to, to be invited to speak at, at such events or invited to, to participate in meetings. It would take some credentials that would need to be developed on my part. And that's what led me into these higher education um, pursuits first from undergrad and then going getting a master's and now PhD that that credibility of those credentials would be able to bring more light and again develop more awareness to um, go back into that way uh, childhood understanding of what I saw my life to be. But what is it like to be able to give back to your community in such an impactful way? So I feel like I, I still haven't given back as much as I want to give back, but I feel that what I've been able to do so far has really been uh, rewarding. Uh, one of the most rewarding ways that I feel that I have in some small way have given back to my community was to be able to be um, a teacher in teaching middle school students for a couple of summers um, to bring their interest into the area of STEM. And so there were the children like me that lived on the reservation came together for a couple of months to be able to take engineering classes, learn some problem solving classes, uh, mathematics and looking and being at a, a university, uh, living there on a university and for many of them, that was the first time they moved away from home and were off the reservation like I experienced um, early on. And to be able to be a mentor to them, to these groups of students was something that was really, um, I guess it's uh, life-changing in a way to know that that cycle is continuing and um, of trying to incorporate an interest and desire in, in other community and tribal members of the, uh, the, the things that can come out of higher education and that I could be a small part of being a mentor to these students was something that uh, I feel has really um, been a, a, a maybe a, a blessing or a benefit uh, to me in this journey of uh, academia right now that I find myself in in this PhD program. Um, what mentors have you had that had a significant impact on your life? Yeah, so I think I uh, definitely the, the term of mentor doesn't only apply for me into who I might find in academia or in a work environment. For me, some of my first mentors and ultimately essentially those mentors that have made the greatest impact in my life have been my family. And that comes from um, my my grandmothers, so my maternal and my paternal grandmothers, that they were really highly influential in helping me to understand the the importance of education. And so my I had one of the grandmothers went to school, but she only could go up to one of the primary levels of school, and then never went back to school. And my other grandmother never went to school. And so I had uh, my maternal grandmother who 
went to almost every single academic achievement or award or a talk I was giving um, or a school program in elementary school that at every single event she was there, um, even going into undergrad, um, that she was at those events up until the day that she died, that she was at every single educational event and was at uh, was there taking a picture with me when I got some kind of certificate or diploma. And so that kind of experience as a mentor just showed to me what she saw was important for her to get her off to travel off the reservation, to go to these various institutions or places I was at that it was through that mentorship of just understanding the, the history of my family and, and what was given up or what was um, what was put on pause that they couldn't go and uh, experience the type of, of life I lived as a as a researcher that they were also intermingled into my success as a researcher by their teachings early on that I could not learn in school. For example, hard work, never giving up, time management, studying, practicing, like those kinds of essential things that are really relevant to researchers was from that early mentorship. And I think from that, from then, from my grandmothers that went into learning from my parents and my sisters, and then ultimately, ultimately, what all the numerous people that have come into my life since then in work and research. What are you currently working on and what projects are you planning on doing in the future? So one project that has been highlighted um, what is a project that I'm working on with NASA with it's called the drought severity evaluation tool. And so it's a tool that focuses on the Navajo Nation, uh, looking at how water resources are uh, are being um, looked at from a uh, Earth observation view with satellites and interconnecting it to what is being observed on the land through what the Navajo Nation Department of Water Resources is doing in collecting their data. And so that is one project that I've been involved with recently. Another ongoing project that I've been involved in is um, I'm a member of the Indigifuse cohort here at the university. And so what that does is it looks at the food, energy, water access and security um, uh, nexus of looking to see how those areas influ are in being influenced within indigenous communities. And so that's where some of the work that I'm currently doing comes from. But I also am working now during this time of the pandemic is being a part of the response team to, for the Navajo Nation in regards to all of the impacts that have taken place with the Navajo uh, COVID-19 pandemic um, crisis that we've seen unfold in these past few months and highlighting all these um, issues around the water access and water quality for or lack thereof for the residents. Very cool. How did you get involved in the NASA project? Like what was the process to be involved with that? So a big part of that is um, right I, and, and I guess the kind of a tip I would give is that um, all the all the people that are telling 
a student or a graduate student, whoever you are, when people tell you to to network and to build your relationships and build who you know and share your name and, and bring awareness to your research at you as an individual, that that is really important into helping you get to to some of these uh, projects. And so uh, I was asked that question in, in a webinar that I gave a couple of weeks ago. And uh, how did how did I get um, involved with this project? And how I got involved with this project is through that, through networking, that I reached out to the so it, the person that is with NASA is Dr. Amber McCollum with that project, that I reached out to her through email to ask her about um, some ideas about remote sensing for the Navajo Nation for research uh, in this PhD program that I'm in. And so it came from that, that we started to develop a relationship and to speak to each other. And when this opportunity arose of being able to participate with this NASA drought severity evaluation tool project that um, those, those conversations prior led to me being able to be brought on to be able to work with her. Um, and then is there any advice you would give to students who are interested in pursuing a career in environmental science? Yeah, my advice was would be to anybody that is interested into pursuing this aspect of environmental science is definitely to understand the the wide range of ways you can be connected to environmental science. So for me, the, the small aspect of that comes through hydroscience is my connection to, to water science, but there's soil science, there's, um, there's microbiology, there's all different kinds of, of topics that go into environmental science. So I would suggest to take a look at what you what your goal is and what type of area environmental science plays into that goal or that question that you have and then by you being the driver of 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 your questions or your interests that that really helps in maintaining that passion and that drive that is definitely needed when going into this type of work that it reaches beyond just trying to answer some research questions or just trying to get a diploma that it it, it ultimately goes into this fluid motion of what your ultimate goal and continued lifeline goals are that can come through of uh, your work that you put into um, going into environmental science. Behind the Beaker is a Daily Wildcat podcast created by Alexandra Perry. The Daily Wildcat online all the time at dailywildcat.com. Thank you, Nikki Tooley, and everyone involved in this podcast, including science editor Amit Sayal, managing editor and producer Pascal Albright, Ubdov and Kentraman, the Science Desk, and Arizona Student Media. Behind the Beaker is a podcast about the unbelievable science and even more unbelievable scientists behind it at the University of Arizona. For more UA science stories, visit dailywildcat.com or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Daily Wildcat. This has been Behind the Beaker, a Daily Wildcat podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, comment, and rate our show.